Active FM presents Food for Thought with Pastor Kevin and Pastor Vicky Ensler. We're continuing with our series Fructify, and um, what I want you to realize is that Fructify means to be made fruitful. We spoke about that a few weeks ago. It's when you are made fruitful. If you've got a tree and you want it to produce fruit, you will fructify it, which means you will make it fruitful. And in order to be made fruitful, then you need to take note of what we're going to be talking about today, which is meet God face to face and change. Meet God face to face and change. And I wonder as you're sitting here today, whether or not you've met God face to face. And I want to remind you, what were you created for? What is the reason that you were put on this earth? Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. You are meant and commanded by God to be fruitful and to increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue means you take over. If you're in a wrestling match or maybe an MMA fight with someone and you subdue them, it means that you get on top of them, you, you, you push them into the canvas and you hold them down and eventually they give up. That, that, that's what it means to subdue. It means you overpower someone and they're forced to surrender. Now, we don't overpower things with um, human, human wars and, and human force and all of that. We overpower things with the, with the power of Almighty God and the Holy Spirit. But we are meant to, to fill the earth and subdue the earth. The whole earth is meant to be subdued by us. Subdued for what? So that we can rule, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Now, I just want you to think about ruling over all the creatures in the sea. And I, and I saw this video on, on YouTube and it was a guy, he was kayaking. And then he was fishing on a kayak in the ocean. And the next thing, a shark came and, and he saw the shark coming and bam, it hit the kayak. He stayed on the thing, but now his feet, they were dangling in the water, but now they were on the boat. You understand what I'm saying? And he's got this camera on and he obviously starts rowing away to get away from that shark. Now, does that sound like ruling to you? And what I want you to realize is that the only way you're going to rule is if you become the leader that God created you to be. There's no such thing as being a church member. Every single person is supposed to be a leader. And from last week, all effective leadership is related to vision. And what is the vision of God? Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. You are the masterpiece of Almighty God. Don't come here and tell me you're too short or you're too fat or your nose is too big or your ears are too round or whatever. Okay, you are God's masterpiece. His fingerprints are all over you. And He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Anew, what does that mean? Well, He's made us new. new. New to what? New to what Adam was created. Adam was perfect. Adam was whole. If He's going to create you anew, it means He makes you whole. You're not broken. You're not smashed up. You're not in a position whereby you're totally broken and messed up. As I say, busted and disgusted. You're not that. You're whole. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things He planned for us long ago. Now, why are we not whole? Because sin caused the Spirit, our Spirit, to die. All of us were dead spirits. But 1 Corinthians 15 verse 45, the Scripture tells us, 
The first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. So Adam, the day that he sinned, his spirit died. And he became a living person with a dead spirit. He had his soul, he had his body. And all of our temptation comes through our soulish realm. And guess what? If your spirit's dead, you've only got one place to go. And that is the flesh. But when you give your life to Jesus, your spirit comes back to life. You have a window to Almighty God. You can now speak to Almighty God yourself. You can connect with Him. You can hear from Him. You can speak to Him. And that's the awesome thing about this. But now you have a war between the spirit and the flesh. And so now you want to change, but you can't change. And what changes us is a real encounter with the sacrifice of Jesus is what changes us. We spoke about the sacrifice that Abraham had to make last week. Where God told him to go and sacrifice his son, his only son Isaac, the son of the promise. Because God wanted to test and to see whether or not he was more important to Abraham than what, his, than what the son of the promise was. And you know, later on, through that son Isaac came a grandson. And the grandson's name was Jacob. And Jacob himself <clears throat> was also a son of the promise. A son of the promise that God had given to Abraham. And Jacob was incredibly special then. He's in the lineage of Isaac. He's in the lineage of Abraham. He's in the lineage of Jesus. Every time God would be uh, introduced to someone throughout the Old Testament, he would be produced, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know what he's saying? He's saying, they're not dead. They're alive with me right now. Not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when they're alive. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And later through that came Jesus. And through Jesus, the promise of Abraham was fulfilled that the whole world would be blessed. Now, Jacob was the son of this promise, even though Jacob had a lot of flaws in his character. At times in his life, Jacob was messed up. And yet, Jacob got the blessing of Isaac, which God had prophesied when Jacob and Esau, his brother, were born. They were twins. Esau came out first, but the, the, the prophecy that God had given was that the older would serve the younger. And so in Genesis 27, verse 26, it says, Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. Now, it's supposed to be Isaac that's there. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced. So now he's convinced he's been conned. And he blessed his son. He said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors which the Lord has blessed. From the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvests of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. You see, there's rulership. He's blessing him with rulership. He's blessing him with being in charge. And then he says, may you be the master over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. Isaac had felt in his heart that he had to bless Esau. And so he tells Esau, Esau, my boy, I'm going to bless you. The blessing belongs to you because you are my firstborn. This is what the culture was. And so Isaac tells him to go out and to hunt. 
He says, go out and hunt and get an animal and make a wonderful meal for me. And so Isaac went out to hunt. But his wife, I mean, sorry, Esau went out to hunt. But his wife, Isaac's wife, Rebekah, she, in her heart, was concerned about Esau being blessed. Because in her heart, she knew that Esau was upright, was not upright. There, there are stories, and you can go and read in Genesis, where, where Esau went and did things that he shouldn't have done. And that's why she arranged that Isaac would be fooled and that he would bless Jacob thinking he had blessed Esau. And here's why she did this. She knew that if Isaac blessed Esau, that it would affect all of their descendants. You see, Esau was never going to come and meet with God and and, and do with God the things that Jacob would eventually do. And, And she realized if the wrong son got the blessing, because in those days, only one son could get the blessing of the eldest. And if Esau got it, that would rob all of their descendants of something. And that's why she arranged this thing. Now, when she arranges this thing and she speaks to Jacob and says, I want you to do this, Jacob was scared that he would be cursed. He was scared that he would be cursed if Isaac found out. You see, let me tell you something. We don't understand the power of a curse today. But Jacob understood the power of a curse. And Rebecca says, and I want you to listen to what she says. You know what she says to him? She says, you go and do this. Let the curse come onto me. Now, if she knows the power of a curse, this was an incredible and a massive act of faith. This was a huge act of faith. She set an example of great faith. In order to make sure that the presence of God goes through her descendants, she's willing to to take a chance to be cursed. And here's the other thing. Her faith is so great that she would rather be cursed than allow the curse to be on all her descendants. She would rather the curse stops with her. And so Jacob dressed up like he was Esau. And while Esau is out there in the wild hunting, Jacob goes into Isaac and Isaac was fooled. I want you to listen to the blessing he gives him. And I want you to realize that the blessing that you come into when you give your life to Jesus, because when you give your life to Jesus, the New Testament says that you now are grafted into the lineage of Abraham and you receive and inherit everything that Abraham had. You inherit the blessing of Abraham over your life. This is what's supposed to happen for you right now. Listen to the blessing. This blessing included everything. There was nothing that was excluded. It spoke of the dew of the heavens. The dew of the heavens causes growth. And when it causes growth, that that results in abundance. That you have enough, that you have more than enough. The blessing said that people would serve Jacob. And, And if you study Jacob's life out, he ended up with many servants. He ended up being in charge of many people. And he had much wealth. The blessing was that nations would bow down to him. Now some of you, you check out right there. Right there, nations could never bow down to me. And when we're talking about bow down, we're not talking about as as in worship. We're talking about as in you rule over them. The blessing was that he would rule over his brothers and sisters. So even in his family, he would rule. And if you're a believer in a family that 
does not believe. You're meant to rule. You're meant to rule and to rule for the, for the purpose of leading them to Christ. The blessing was that those that cursed him would be cursed. The blessing said that those that blessed him would be blessed. It's the same blessing that had been given to Abraham. And this is the blessing that awaits the children of God that will believe in him. So I'm asking you today, will you believe in him? Will you believe in him no matter what the doctor may have said? Will you believe in him no matter what the bank manager may say? Will you believe in him no matter what names they may have called you and how useless they may have said you are? Will you believe in him? You see, that's a choice that you have. Will you believe in him? Will you trust him? And when Esau came, Isaac could not bless him. He'd already given the blessing. And Esau wept. This was a bitter pill for him to swallow. I want you to understand that this kind of a blessing has far more of an impact on our lives than what we realize. The blessing of a father has a far greater impact than what we could ever imagine. But believe me, it's true. Esau wept and begged Isaac, and Isaac then ended up giving him a watered-down blessing. He said, by your sword you will live. In other words, you're going to have to do it yourself. And you will serve your brother. And when Esau got this watered-down blessing, he knew that this was bad. And he was angry with his brother, and he was determined to kill his brother. And so with the blessing of his mother, Jacob fled. Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob was deceptive. There, there was nothing great about his character at this moment. And, and when, he's, when he's fleeing, he had his first encounter. And in his first encounter with God, he actually sees a vision of a ladder going from the floor all the way up to heaven. And coming up and down the, the ladder are angels. And, and, and while he's got this vision, he heard the Lord bless him audibly. He could hear it with his ears. He blessed him with fruitfulness. He said to him, you will be fruitful. You will fill the earth and you will subdue the earth. And the blessing ended with the same thing his father had said. All the nations will be blessed through you. And from then, Jacob knew that God would be on his side. I want to say that again. Jacob knew after that encounter that God would be on his side. If you don't know in here that God is on your side, you need an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to get on the life class because this is what God wants you to know. He wants you to know that He is on your side. Oh, but you don't know my flaws. Well, just look at Jacob. Just look at Jacob. And after the encounter, Jacob had to follow the path that God led him to. He did not know where it would end. We talk about the path of the vision of God for each and every one of our lives. And yes, we do not know where it will end. But Jacob knew he had to follow that path. And you know when God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, we know deep down inside, we too have to follow that path. And in that process of Jacob following the path, God led him to Laban. He was a relative of his mother. And this was a man that would later become his father-in-law. Now, Later on in his life, Jacob has been with Laban for a while. He's been working for him. And we see that this conversation happens in Genesis chapter 30, verse 31. What wages do you want, Laban asked again. 
And you know, Jacob, he was like my wife. My wife would say, no, I don't need anything. That's what Jacob was saying. But Laban was insistent. So I asked him again, and Jacob replied, don't give me anything, just this one thing. And I'll continue to tend and watch over your flocks. You know why Laban wanted to pay him? Because Laban was being blessed. Because the blessing of God was on Jacob. And so because of the blessing of God that was on Jacob, Laban's wealth grew massively. Your boss's wealth, or your customer's wealth, or whatever, should be increasing greatly because of the blessing of God that's on you. And so he says, I, I, I will carry on watching over your flocks. Verse 32, let me inspect your flocks today and remove all the sheep and the goats that are speckled or spotted along with all the black sheep. Give these to me as my wages. In future, when you check on the animals you have given me as wages, you'll see that I've only kept... Sorry, just hold on. Just lost my place. You'll see. You'll see that I've been honest. And if you will find in my flock any goats without speckles or spots or any sheep that are not black, you will know that I've stolen them from you. All right, Laban replied. It will be as you say. Now at this point, Jacob had already gone through several tests. I mean, first of all, when he's working there for Laban, he sees his daughter and um, his daughter Rachel and he falls in love with her and he says to Laban, let me work for you for seven years for free to get that daughter of yours. And after seven years, and the Bible says it felt like a few weeks to Jacob, bam, he was conned. He was deceived. You know, just like what he'd been doing, he was deceived. And he got her sister Leah instead. And when Jacob went back to Laban upset, Laban says, work another seven years and I'll give you Rachel. So he did so. He worked 14 years to get the girl of his dreams. Jacob wanted then to leave to build his own flocks. And Laban encourages him to stay for wages. And for wages for tending the flocks, all he wanted was speckled sheep. All he wanted was black sheep. All he wanted was the speckled goats. So Jacob makes a business proposition with Laban. And Laban thought he's going to score. So I'm going to get all the white sheep. And I'm going to get all the goats that aren't speckled. And Laban knew this. White sheep don't produce speckled sheep. You know, it's kind of like a white person or two white people or two black people that have children. A white person won't produce black children and a, and a black person won't produce white children. It's, it's the same concept. So, so Laban thought, this is good for me. He thought Jacob had ripped himself off. But God gave Jacob a strategy to change everything. And under, I believe, the inspiration of God, he goes and he puts speckled rods at the place where they came to drink. And every time they were drinking, they would see these speckled rods. And so when, 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 um, when, when they would drink, something would change as something was imprinted on their minds. And this is how God began to prosper Jacob. Because as they would have offspring, the offspring would be in accordance with what they've seen. I don't know if you realize this, but what's going to happen in your life is going to be in accordance with what you see. What are you seeing? Are you seeing with eyes of faith or are you seeing with eyes of fear? And so this is how God begins to prosper Jacob. 
But he'd not yet been born again. He got very wealthy out of this. But he was not yet totally sold out for God. And some people conform to the blessings God has given them. They conform themselves. They, they align themselves with the blessings God has given them. But they have not changed. Jacob was like this. And Jacob himself needed an encounter with God for his relationship to be consolidated. You know, once you've been one, which is what happened when Jacob had the first vision, that newfound faith has to be consolidated. And so in Genesis 32, verse 6 and 7, we see after delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau. So now this is later on. It's much later on. And, and J- Jacob has left Laban. He's now a very wealthy man, got lots of servants, got his wife, got kids, got the whole bunch. And he's coming back because God told him to go back to the promised land where Esau was. And he sends forth, forward a message. And after delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau. He's already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. <laughs> what? 400 men coming Esau's angry. Esau wants Jacob dead. And it says, Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household uh, along with the flocks and the herds and the camels into two groups. We later see in verse 9, Then Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives. And you promised me that I will, that I will treat you kindly. I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant, when I left home and crossed the Jordan, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. So he's afraid. And then we see later on in verse 24. Later on, Jacob has sent everyone, and it says, This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. When the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Are you willing to say to God, I will not let you go unless you bless me? You can do that every single morning. And then it says, what is your name? The man asked. He said, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been spared. You know, at this moment, Jacob is scared now because he's going back. So he's listened to what God's told him. He's left Laban. Some problems happened there because Laban got jealous because God blessed Jacob so much that he got richer than Laban. He left Laban. And there's a whole story in that. But when he gets back, Esau's coming with 400 men to meet him. And now he's in big trouble. So now he's afraid. And only now he realizes, I need an encounter with God. You know, don't let it get to the place where 400 people are coming after you or something like that. Some major disaster in your life. Maybe COVID-19, COVID lungs, cancer, whatever it may be. Before you realize you need an encounter with God. And here's the thing that we learn in that moment. The Lord was always with Jacob, but Jacob was not always with God. I want to say that again to you. The Lord was always with Jacob, but Jacob was not always with God. 
And I want to tell you today that many believers are like this. There's many believers that have the blessings of God without the presence of God. Jacob only realized his need for an encounter when Esau was coming to attack him. And you know what you see there from this prayer of Jacob's? The way that he cries out to God. When we're in danger, prayer ceases to be a, rit- a ritual. He cried out to God and an angel comes and he wrestles with him all night. And the angel says, as daybreak, let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you've blessed me. And then the angel blesses him. And you know what he says to him? You'll no longer be Jacob, the supplanter, the deceiver, but Israel. Because you have fought God and won. We'll continue with this next week, but what I want you to realize is that this is what happens when you have an encounter with God. You wrestle with God. You wrestle in prayer. You wrestle in the Word. You wrestle. You have an encounter where you experience His presence come right there into the room, right where you are. There's a light feeling that comes all over you. You become aware of all of the shortcomings that you have in in the eyes of Almighty God. Because he sees into your heart. He sees into your soul. You can hide things from people, but you cannot hide them from God. He sees it all. And then the calling upon you is that you will wrestle with God and win. You wrestle with the cross. You wrestle with what Jesus did for you on the cross. You wrestle with the blood of Jesus that was shed for you. You see your sin. You see that you have no hope. You see that if it depends on your efforts, you're finished. You know, when I think about this, you know what the biggest joke is? When we speak about other people, when we judge other people. Because none of us are in the position to judge. And judgment is different to discipleship. You see, judgment is manipulative. You're just trying to manipulate people to do what you want them to be or to do. I mean, isn't that what's going on there with Jacob? Even when he, he, you know, before he got the blessing, he actually cooked a meal and his brother came past and thought nothing of his birthright. And his brother said, give me some of that food. I'm about to die of salvation. And Jacob says, give me your birthright and you can have this meal. And the book of Hebrews says that Esau, sold his birthright for a meal. Are we like Esau? For the pleasures of this world, or the accolades of this world, or the power of this world, we sold our birthright. Because we have a birthright here. And we give it away just for one meal. Esau never had the blood of Jesus. But we do. We do. And we can come back to God. But again, I want to tell you, you you don't change until you've had an encounter. Until you've had an encounter and you've wrestled with the cross. You've wrestled with your sin. You've wrestled with the, the lengths to which Jesus had to go through in order to save you from your sin. And I want you to think, you know, if, if we brought a coffin in here and, and you put a corpse here and we pray, bam, that person comes back to life. You think that's a fantastic miracle. I want you to realize something. That's small. 
in comparison to the Lord being able to forgive your sins, every one of your sins being washed away, being destroyed. All the arguments that the devil has against you because of things you've done wrong, things you've thought wrong, things you've said wrong, things you wish you'd done wrong which you never got the opportunity to do. All of those things. What an incredible miracle that God can save you from that and, and, and just by applying the blood of Jesus to your life, He makes it like you've never sinned. He justifies you. And I just want you to think about this. Maybe you find yourself in a position where you feel that um, you need to justify yourself all the time. If, if, if you're feeling that you need to justify yourself all the time, you haven't had an encounter. Because when you've had an encounter, you realize, I no longer need to justify myself. And when you speak, you speak because God's telling you to speak. When you speak, you speak in the Word. And you're judging everything by what the Bible says. But He's justified you. You are justified before Almighty God. Doesn't matter what the devil says. Doesn't matter what any other person may say. You will stand before God justified. You will stand before Him just. You're a person of justice because God made you so. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You cannot even begin to think about having an encounter with God unless you've given your heart to Jesus. See, there was a difference in Jacob and Esau. There was a difference in their heart. And that's why Jacob got everything. And Esau didn't. Romans 10 verse 8 and 9 says, For what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Are you stubborn about that? Are you stubbornly pushing against that? Do you have theories that say, no, this is not true, it's too easy? The, the, the issue is, it's not, it's not easy, it's impossible. Jesus is the one who had to do this for you. Without the sacrifice, you can't have eternal life. But if you give your heart to Jesus today, you can have eternal life. And I want to ask you, well, what would happen if you were to die today? Would you know that you're going to face God without your sin? Would you know that you can be confident in facing God? If you're out of the house, don't say, no, I'll wait until later. Maybe when I get home, I'll have some me time with God. No, no, now is the time that you must do it. Maybe you're sitting in your home alone watching this thing. And now is the time. You need to get on your knees before the screen. And you need to do it right now. Maybe you're listening to the audio. Maybe you're in transport, you're at work, whatever. And you can't do anything but put your, your, your hand on your heart. But you need to realize that now is the time. This is the moment that will change everything. And you need to say to God, now is my time. I want to commit everything to you. I want to submit my life completely to you right now. I don't want to wait late until I get home. I don't want to wait until after lunch if you're ready at home. I want to commit to you now, Lord. I want to give you everything. I want to live close to you from this day forward. Because I want to know that when death comes knocking, it's not going to affect me. And it's not going to affect me because I know I'm with you and I know I'm going to be with you forever. And so what I'm going to experience in terms of death is just a shadow of death. 
like King David said in Psalm 23. I'm not going to experience the reality of death. You could be lying in a hospital right now. Maybe they've told you you're going to die. Jesus can save you right now. Maybe you're thinking your sin is too bad. The blood of Jesus is worth way more than your sin. There's no sin that you can commit other than rejecting Jesus that can stop your sin being forgiven. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, wow, man, my life has no meaning, no purpose. Your life always has a purpose. It has an eternal purpose. And if you give your life to Jesus by the blood of Jesus, he'll give you a purpose right now. And so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. If you're watching alone or you're listening on the audio, please send an email to info at theactivechurch.org. Just send that email right now. Say, I'm giving my life to Jesus for the first time or I'm recommitting my life to Jesus. Just send that email right now. And put your contact details in there. I want you, everyone now to put your right hand on your heart. And as you put your right hand on your heart, I want you to visualize Jesus. I want you to see him dying for you. That's what your sin cost him. I want you to see the blood that was shed. I want you to see your sin at the foot of that cross. See his blood falling onto that sin. All those arguments that the enemy has against you. Just see it right there, right now. And it's being destroyed. The devil's holding a bunch of arguments that he was using against you. It's being destroyed right now by the blood of Jesus. And this scene at Calvary happened over 2,000 years ago. But this same Jesus that was dying on the cross for you over 2,000 years ago, he's alive today and his work stands today once and for all. If you're putting your faith in him and you're believing that God raised him from the dead, you are being saved right now. The blood that he shed was the price that was paid and it will wash all your sin away. So right now you're believing in your heart. That's, that's half of it. The other half is to confess Jesus as Lord. And we're going to do that right now. And you just say this prayer and mean it and you will be saved. We're all going to pray together. Just repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I recognize today that I'm a sinner, that I cannot save myself. And I repent of everything that I've done wrong. I renounce my life of sin. And I accept your sacrifice. And I know that it was the price that you paid for my redemption. And today, Lord, I ask you that, the, that you would take the blood of your wounded body and wash me of all my rebellion. Wash me of all my sin. Set me free from any sickness and from any pain. And Lord, I accept that my debt has been paid. There is no outstanding balance. You paid everything for me at the cross of Calvary. And I accept that by your blood, I am justified. And that you see me as I have never sinned. And by your blood, I am sanctified. You have chosen me to serve you. And I want to serve you from this day forward, Lord. I open the door of my heart. I invite you to come in as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me and giving me eternal life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.